Okay, we're doing a series right now that's called, it's called I'm In, and uh, I think personally that one of the greatest blessings in, in life is to have good friends who know when to ask and know how to ask the question, how are you doing? Someone who, who knows you well enough to know when something's a little bit off, they care about you too much to do nothing when they see that something's off, and so they find the right time when you're not in a rush, they find some time when there's some space, and they look you in the eye and sincerely ask that question, how are you doing? And it's different than when someone just kind of drive-bys and asks you, how are you doing? And, and, but, but, but they get you in that spot, and you, they know you, and you know them, and they say it in such a way that, that you just know that this person sincerely cares about you. They, they want to know, how are you doing? They don't even need to add on the, the, the word, how are you really doing? They just got to say, hey, how, how are you doing? And you know that they, they love and care about you. And, and it's an even greater blessing when you know that no matter what comes out of your mouth in response to that question, you know that they are going to love you and they're going to care about you just as much. You could tell them that this last week I slipped back into that addiction. This last week I, I, I fell into depression again. This last week I made some big mistakes here and there. And you know that they're going to love you and they're going to care about you just as much. This kind of friendship, this kind of community is such a, a blessing, and yet studies show that for many, many people, it doesn't even exist. In 2014, the American Sociological Review, they conducted a survey and found that 25%, so one in four Americans, do not have one single person with whom they can talk about their personal troubles or triumphs. And if immediate family members are included, that number doubles. And when looked at over the last 40 years, that the, these same researchers that put together this study, they have, have noted that over the last 40 years, there's been an increase in social isolation and a very significant decrease in social connection to close friends and family, which tells me Facebook and social media are lying to us. You browse through social media, and you'll, you'll be led to believe that social connection is significantly increasing, not decreasing, but the data is actually saying otherwise. I find that when it comes to, to social media connection, a lot of times it looks like this. It's, it's get all your friends together and get, get the phone up there and put a, a big smile on, and then everybody's quickly like this. That's what connection looks like these days. And researchers point out uh, just a, a host of different reasons for this loss of connection. Um, some blame it on the 1960s and the whole revolution that took place back then. Um, uh, if you can't find the, the, the source of the problem, let's just blame it on the 60s. But back then, it was this whole, like, it became, it be, just became this deal where you just, it's, it was all about doing your own thing. Um, sexual freedom became this uh, outside of a loving, committed relationship. All that, it just became cool. Um, others blame it on the family breakdown, family dinners, family activities. They just don't happen like they used to. Others blame it on television. 5% of American households back in the 50s had a TV. That number is at 95% of households today. And I don't know the more shocking part of that, that stat, that 95% of households have TV or that 5% still don't have TV. But, but some blame it on TV. Others blame longer work days and longer commutes. We just don't have the, the time or the energy anymore for meaningful relationships. And what's crazy about all this, though, is that 
that although our world is more connected than ever before, we are so much more connected than ever before. Globally, the number of meaningful, deep relationships we have has just been in a steady decline over the years. And as a result, it's been stunting people's maturity. Uh, there's a weakening of family bonds and, and the crippling of our communities in many, many different, different areas. Just as one example of how this, this is happening today and the devastating effects of isolation, um, one, one example is in the area of addiction. Uh, Johan Hari, an English journalist, did three years of research into the topic of addiction and the reasons behind it, why some people gravitate toward it, others do not. Some people find freedom from it, others do not. He studied all this in depth for three years, and, and here's the summary of what he found. He, he says the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is human connection. He found that when people were connected in meaningful, deep relationships, addiction just uh, tended to, to fade away. And here's the point of all this. Our lives are, are jammed, packed with, with fly-by, surface-level relationships. We, we all have these. It's the chit-chat that takes place with the, the other soccer moms on the sideline. It's the chit-chat that takes place with, with your drinking buddies. It's the chit-chat that takes place with, uh, through social media. We have lots of acquaintances, lots of friends, but the research shows that very few people, very few of us have real deep meaningful connections and relationships with others where we are known and deeply loved. And this is not good. And most of us, if we're honest, would confess that we know that it's, it's not good. And we want to do something about it, but just not sure of what to do or where to even, where to even begin. And the best place, so when you're searching for answers, when you're searching for direction, the best place to start is always God's word, to look at scripture and to see what God has to say. And so here's what we're going to do for the next 20, 25 minutes. We are going to have a little Bible study as a church, and we, I'm going to be unloading a ton of scriptures on you this morning, and we're going to be diving into this topic. Uh, when it comes to community, relationships, this is probably one of the most passionate subjects that, that there is for me to share on, and so I'm ready to go. I got my new shoes on. And so we're going to rock and roll this morning, okay? And I'm going to unapologetically make the case for why every single one of us sitting here in this room needs to be in biblical community. And uh, we see in the Bible that relationships are really, they're a huge deal in Scripture. Really important. Right in the very beginnings, way back in the day, you have Adam and Eve. God has just created the heavens and the earth. He's He's just breathed elephants and alligators and trees and mountains into existence. And then God creates Adam. Adam has a relationship with God, but God himself says that this is not enough. The Bible says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So God creates a lifelong companion and friend for Adam, a lady named Eve who would become his wife. And in everything that the world is discovering about the need for human relationship all this, this stuff, God has been saying this since the very beginning of time. It's not good for man to be alone. And then you see the, the importance of relationships in the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. Did you know that every single one of the Ten Commandments has to do with relationship? You know, often we just think it's about stealing or it's about lying or it's about, or it's about 
idols and stuff like that, but they all at the heart of them are about relationships. God says, don't have any other gods before me. Because if you do, you'll, the relationship that you have with God will, will break down. He says, do not steal. Why would he say that? Well, because it is really hard to be friends with someone who's constantly ripping you off. You know what I'm saying? Someone's stealing your car. It's pretty hard to have relationship there. He says, honor your father and mother. It's about, it's about relationships. And then you jump ahead to the New Testament. And if ever there was a question about the importance of relationships in God's eyes, Jesus sets the record straight once and for all. Jesus summed up all the commandments of Scripture with, with two commandments. These are the biggies, Jesus said. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Does uh, love have to do with relationship? Yeah, a little bit, doesn't it? You, you, you can't have love without relationship. And then there's the fruit of the Spirit. The, 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 the Bible talks about how fruit is going to grow out of the life of, of a follower of Jesus. And in Galatians, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the fruit is love. And I would ask towards whom? It's a joy expressed with whom? Peace with whom? Forbearance towards whom? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of which are lived out where? In the context of relationship, in the context of community. And it's everywhere in the Bible. We haven't even scratched the surface on the number of, of Scripture uh, references, uh, Bible that talks about relationship. It's everywhere. It's a very, very big deal to God, relationships, biblical community. And why is this? Why are relationships such a big deal? And I'm going to give you uh, a few reasons here. And the first one is this. First reason is this. God is love. The Bible says that plain as day. God is love. Love, the central virtue of healthy relationships. Love is who God is. You can't separate God from love. God is love. Love is God. God doesn't just decide to love. It's just what he does. Because God, God is love. And the second reason that uh, relationships are a big deal in the Bible is, is that of all the characteristics of God that he wants his church to put on display, love is the one that matters the most. So God's got a lot of characteristics. He's got power. He's got power to heal. Is that the one that God wants to have on display the most? No. God, God has got, I mean, he, he's got this belief faith, if you could say that about God, but he's, he, he speaks, and, and it, out of nothing comes something. Does he want that to be put on display? No. His strength? No. His faithfulness or, or loyalty? Is that the one that matters the most to him? No. None of those. The one that God wants his church, the virtue of God that he wants us to display the most is his love, and, and more than anything else, the Bible says this, Jesus said this himself, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Love is the, the, the virtue of God that matters the most to him when it comes to his church, putting it on display. In fact, the Bible says that you could have everything else, faith, you could have generosity, a, spirit, a heart of sacrifice, you could have all of those other virtues, you could have all those in abundance, but if you don't have the love of God being displayed in and through your life, all of those amount to a big fat zero. The Bible says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I, I know my Bible inside and out, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. The virtue of love matters to God far more than any other virtue, and he wants us to demonstrate it. He wants us to walk in it, to show it to the world around us, and the only place to do that is in relationships, in community with others. Another reason relationships are such a big deal is that we have been created for relationship. We've been created for it, designed for it. It's part of who we are at the core of our being. The Bible says that, we read this verse last week, but we need to come back to it. God created mankind in his own image. So we have God. God is love. It's who God is. God has eternally existed in perfect loving relationships as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call, call that the Trinity, the, the triune God. Three, three persons in one. Uh, God has eternally existed in perfect loving relationships. God didn't need to create us so that he could have some, some people to hang out with. Um, he has always been in relationship. It's who he is. One of the differences that separates the God of Christianity from the God of other religions is that God didn't, he didn't create relationships as kind of like a tack on to who he, who he was. No, he's always been in perfect loving relationships. Relationship isn't something that, that, that he added. He's always eternally existed at the very core of who he is in loving, caring relationship. You could say that he is loving relationship. And you and I, all of us in this room, the Bible says, have been created in that image. It's right here that we understand our fundamental need for relationship with others. Because on our own, we are totally isolated on our own, we're separated from others. We cannot reflect or experience the life that we were created for in isolation. It is just not possible. You were made in the image of a highly relational God. It's why you long for community and friendship. It's, it's why you check your Facebook all day long. It's why you send a text message, and when you don't hear back in two hours, you're wondering what's going on. Did I say something wrong? Did I offend them? Did I, uh, are they hurt? Is, is, is everything okay? It's why you cry every time you hear Jerry Maguire look at Dorothy and say, you complete me. Relationship. It's why you're crushed whenever you experience the loss of a relationship through a breakup or a job loss or someone you're close to moves away or through the death of a loved one. And it's why you need to be part of something bigger than yourself. You have been created for relationship. And because of that, Jesus, God the Son, steps down into his creation. And when asked what life is all about, 
Jesus, what's the most important thing in life? Jesus, what's, what are, what's the most important command? Jesus boils it all down to two commands. Love God and love people. Relationships are a big deal. And, and another reason they're a big deal is because becoming a person who loves greatly it is the primary goal that Jesus gave us in life. That's the big goal. Now, I know that, that culture and society would lead us to believe that the big goals are, are to become rich and famous. The big goals are to have academic success and get good grades in school. The big goal is to be a star athlete one day. The big goal is to one day have your own business. The big goal is to one day be able to have a nice big goose egg retirement fund saved up. That's what culture and society would tell us is those are the goals. But Jesus comes along and says, no, no. Love God. Love people. That, that is what, that, that's what life is all about. It, it's, it's loving. It's, it's relationship. And think of what this means when it comes to how we measure Christian maturity. The church gets this wrong all the time. When we think of Christian maturity, we tend to think, okay, when I get to the place where I'm, I'm showing up in, at, at church every weekend, or when I get to the place where I'm, I'm giving of, of my, my resources, or when I get to the place where I've got lots of Bible known, or when I get to the place where I go on a, on a missions trip or something like that, then that means that, that, that's Christian maturity. Then I will be a mature Christian. But Jesus says, uh-uh-uh. That's not Christian maturity. Christian maturity is when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love people. You're giving your life away for the sake of others. You're a person who loves. And G Jesus didn't make anything else the, the primary goals. He made those the big goals. Love is the goal, which leads us to the last reason that you need relationships, and that's this. This goal can only be achieved in the context of biblical community. So the goals Jesus gave us, the greatest command, what we're, what, we're, what we're shooting for in life is to be people of love, people who love God, people who love others. And the only place that you can, can attain that goal is in the context of biblical community. Trying to become a more loving person, the kind of person Jesus wants you to be, without being in biblical community is like trying to become a better football player all by yourself. With nobody to pass the ball to Nobody to pass the ball to, to you with nobody to block for you, nobody to, to tackle. It's just not going to work trying to become a better football player all by yourself. And, and trying to become a more mature Christian, someone who's growing to becoming more like Jesus, isolated, outside the context of biblical community is just impossible. It will not happen. You need relationships to grow in your faith. Yeah, a good book will help. A good sermon will point you in the right direction. Going to a conference, that, that'll help. But the, the prim, primary place that you grow in your faith is in the context of loving, caring relationships. Jesus showed this to us. He modeled this to us. Jesus, he taught the masses. He taught large groups of people. But then you look at the life of Jesus over the course of his three years in ministry on earth, and what you'll find is Jesus pouring his life into a group of 12 individuals. Sure, he taught the masses, but he boiled it down at the end of the day to, to, to loving community with, with a small group of people. 
you'll only grow in your love for others by having people in your life. And as you do, you're going to learn patience. You're going to learn kindness. You're going to learn how to forgive. You're going to learn all that. And this is what church, this is what church is to be all about. Loving God and loving people. I hear the ice cream truck pulling up. Is it just me? Okay. Being people in community where, where they're encouraged, they're supported, challenged, where they can laugh together, play together, pray together. That's what church is supposed to be all about. It's being in a place where you're known deeply and deeply loved. And this kind of community that we're talking about is impossible to have on a Sunday morning. It just does not happen. You, you cannot have community where you're known and where you know others deeply staring at the back of someone's head like we say around here at CTK on a Sunday morning. You have to be in deep, loving community. And at CTK, um, Sunday morning is not enough for this, which is why we have these, these things we call small groups. A small group is, get this, a small group of people who meet together in biblical community. Uh, it's a small group of people that meet outside of a weekend service, usually in somebody's home during the week, to have relationship, to be connected with others in this kind of community where you're known and you know others. You're someone, you've got people who care about you, who love you, who are, are praying for you, who are supporting you, who are helping you to grow as a follower of Jesus. And, and I'm just going to, this morning, I want to just, I'm going to say some things about small groups, just kind of plant the flag in the ground as a church. Small groups, during your notes this morning, small groups are the vehicle we use to foster biblical community here at CTK. Not the weekend service, not programs, small groups are the vehicle that we use. So small groups, they're not a guarantee that you're going to have Biblical community like I'm talking about this morning, but they are a vehicle that we, we hope and pray will move you towards being in the kind of relationships that we're talking about this morning. Small groups are not the goal. Now, some of you have been around the church for a long time. You, you hear a guy up front talk about small groups, and you go, okay, well, here we go. It's the small group talk. It's about getting people in small groups. It's not about that. Small groups are not the goal. Loving relationships where you're being loved and cared for, that's the goal. But you, you and I know you can't have that here on a Sunday morning. And so small groups become the vehicle that, that, that move you and help you begin to find that kind of loving uh, community that we're talking about. And in our church, so small groups are the vehicle. And, and the second thing you got to know is that in our church, all roads lead to a small group. All roads lead to a small group. Our hope and prayer is, is not that you'll just come to a weekend service and we go, okay, yeah, that's awesome, you're here, great. No, we, our hope and prayer is that you will eventually get into a small group so that you can be an experienced biblical community. Um, it's why in, in our children's ministry, every Sunday, hopefully you know this if you're a parent, but if you don't, your, your kids are getting off into a, a, a small group time. Even in fusion, it's, there's a small group component that takes place in that. Our hope and prayer is that you'll get into a small group where someone knows you and loves you, cares about you, and, and you'll, you'll find that kind of community. 
And, and maybe this morning you're going, well, Rich, I don't have time to be at both a weekend service and a small group meeting during the week. I got lots of stuff. Rich, you're talking about how work and schedules and commute, how that just decreases our level of relationship these days. Rich, that's me. I don't have time for a weekend service and a small group to be in that kind of community during a week. Well, I would say first off, that every one of us has time for what's most important in our lives. Every one of us in this room. But, but the second thing I would say is this. If you really are in a place where you're at a season in life where you don't have time for a weekend service and a small group, I would say to you, pick small group. Pick a small group. I would rather you get in, a, in, a, in a, that kind of community than show up here on a weekend service. But, but all roads in our church lead to a small group. And, and I know probably the second thing is if, if I've, I've, I've been in small groups most of my life, but if I'd never been in small groups, the thing that I would be thinking is, Rich, why in the world would I show up at somebody's house who I don't really know very well to, to sit around someone's living room and talk about life and talk about stuff? That just sounds like an absolute nightmare to me, especially me. I mean, I'm like Mr. Introverted when it comes right down to it. Why would I do that, Rich? Why would I want that stress, that anxiety in my life? Well, let me just tell you a little bit about what you can expect from a CTK small group, okay? First thing you can expect is this, an intentional leader, an intentional leader, someone who has a heart for people, someone who's trained in how to disciple people, how to be a person who just loves and cares for people. Um, on how, this person will know how to, they've been trained on how to create a relational environment where people will grow. Someone who's going to love you like crazy, who's going to pray for you. Someone who has some organizational skills, is going to make sure there's a, a meeting plan. Someone who's going to lead the way when it comes to being real, when it comes to, to modeling what it looks like to follow Jesus. This leader is going to make sure that there, there's some kind of curriculum that you're going through to, so you're just not showing up and everybody's like, now what? You're going to have an intentional leader. That's, that's just part of a small group. Something else you're going to get in a small group is you're going to get some authenticity. So spiritual growth does not happen in our lives as we hide, as we put walls up and barriers up. And so this is why in, at CTK, hopefully you'll have picked this up if you've been around here for a while, authenticity is a, is a big deal around here, just being real and, and putting the wall down. You're, you're going to find that in a small group. And... Uh, now, like any relationships, it takes time to build trust. So you're not going to show up and, and, and just, you know, be expected just like, blah, here's my life. Now, if you wanted to do that, I'll tell you, they'll be okay with that. But, but there's going to be some, some authenticity. Next, you can expect care and support. Leaders and friends who will check on you when you're missing to make sure everything is okay. Who will visit you when you're in the hospital sick. Who will, who will who just walk alongside of you in life. You're going to get that kind of care and support in a small group. You're also going to get accountability. 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 Let's try that again. And, and now when most people think of accountability, they tend to think of that as a bit of a bad word. It means that someone is kind of keeping me in line. Now, it does mean that, but that's only a negative if the person doesn't really care about you. But when somebody really loves and cares about you and you start to go off, off the rails a little bit in life or you're hurting and just have kind of shut down and they step in and they say, hey, how are you doing? Accountability is actually a really good thing. 
it's a tremendous blessing. So, so you can expect some of that. You can expect that Bibles will be open. And, and the purpose of small groups isn't just so that you can have friends and connections, spiritual transformation, healing, freedom, becoming like Jesus are the goals. And that only happens in the context of, of loving relationship where, where the Bible is being opened and, and, and it's being taught. You can also expect to find one or two people you don't click with. That will happen in every small group. Someone's going to talk too much. Someone's going to just rub you the wrong way. And guess what? That's okay and that's even good to have in a small group. Sometimes the relationships that you grow the most through are those that rub you the wrong way. Now, if you show up at a small group and there's absolutely no connection whatsoever, that's probably not a good sign either. Have a conversation with a, a myself or another one of our staff members, and we will help you find a group that's got a little bit better fit for you. But you always have one or two people you don't click with. And the last thing that you can expect in a small group is this, a challenging, frustrating sometimes awkward, joy-filled, life-changing, life-giving experience. It's all of the above. It's all of the above. Some of my most challenging moments have come in small group. But then some of my most life-giving moments, some of the, the greatest joys I've had serving alongside of others, just being known, sharing where I'm at, and having people just love me, in return, when they see all the ugliness and brokenness of rich, have come in the context of small groups. They're not easy. They're not easy. They're messy. And, and, and you know why that is? It's because small groups are made up of people. And people, we're messy, aren't we? We're broken. We've got flaws. We've got weaknesses. But, but the awkwardness, the discomfort is well worth it for how God will work in your life and through your life as you say, okay, I am willing to take that step of faith and get into biblical community. And so here's what I'd ask you to do as we wrap up this morning. I'd ask you to do a couple of things. First, God, what do, you, what do you want me to do as a next step here? Do you want me to, is this, is it, do I need to get in a group? Do I need to just be having a conversation with my spouse? What does this look like? And if you're, if you're at a place where you're going, okay, I feel like God is saying, I need to take a next step. I need to somehow get into the, the biblical community. And if that's you this morning, I'm just going to, I want to share with you how to do that. What, what's the process on doing that here in our church? Well, inside your program, this, this thing right here that you get every week, you're going to find this little blue card called the connection card. And on this connection card, we, we have um, a special, a space on the back where it says, my response, and it's, that's my response to the sermon, my response to being a part of this worship experience this morning. Here's my response. So there's four different options that, that, that we have there. I have questions about faith. I made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I would, I would like to be baptized or learn more about baptism. Fourth thing is I would like to join a small group. And so if that's you this morning, you're going, okay, I, I want to take that next step. I want to get in biblical community somehow. I want to have a conversation about, with somebody. Check out that box, and then here's what will happen next. When you check out that box, you're going to receive an invitation from a small group leader. They're going to say, hey, we would, we would love to have you come and, and check out our group. 
Now, sometimes there, there might be a conversation in there with a staff member. Maybe they just want to ask some questions to help you find the right group. But at some point, you're going to get an invitation from a small group leader saying, hey, come, check us out. Here's where we meet. And then, next thing is for you to visit a group. Now, I don't say join a group because I, 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 don't, I, don't, I personally don't want to have to be like, okay, if I come one time, that's like I'm committed for life kind of thing. That's not what this is about at all. We want you to come and visit, check out a group, see if it's something that's going to fit, something that's going to work for you. And if, if, you, if you show up a couple times and you're just like, yeah, those guys are a little weird, something a little different. But if, if it just does not jive with you, then, then we want you to come and have a conversation with a staff member and say, hey, is there, is there another group? Listen, that small group leader will not be offended. We're going to be totally okay with that because this is not about small group. This is about people finding and getting connected in biblical community. And then at some point, encourage you to make a commitment to, to be a part of and to join a small group. And I'm telling you, it'll be a life-changing experience for you. Biblical community is what you were created for. It's not, it's not an add-on to your current life. It's not something that's just like, a, okay, maybe I could tack that on somewhere. No, biblical community is what you were created for. This must be front and center, not just as a Christian, a follower of Jesus. This has got to be front and center as humans. It's what we were designed and what we were created for. And, and I would encourage you to do whatever it takes to get into biblical community. Maybe you've had a frustrating experience in the past and you've just, you're like, yeah, I don't even want to go back down that road again. I'd encourage you to, to, to keep seeking after it. Begin, just pursue biblical community. Do whatever it takes and watch how God will, he'll work in your life as you do. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I, I just uh, pray this morning that, Lord, you would work in the life of this church. Jesus, my prayer is that, Lord, you would, you would help us to be a church where, Lord, at the end of the day, we're not known as, as a church that's got a great meeting. We're not known as a church that's got good music. We're not known as a church that, 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 that meets down at 5627 3rd Avenue. I pray that, Jesus, at the end of the day, Lord, may we be known as a church that loves and cares for one another deeply. God, may we be known for that. May we be known as a church that, that shows up at the hospital when, when, when others are, are, are sick and when others aren't doing so well. God, may we be known as that church that's just constantly giving of ourselves, sacrificing ourselves, God, so that we can love and serve others, God, as you, as you show us and as you, as you invite us into. And Lord, I just want to pray this morning that, Father, you would have... Uh, fan into flame something in each one of our hearts, this desire, this longing for greater, deeper community. And, and Lord, I pray that Jesus, uh, Lord, each one of us would find that place. God, I pray for our student ministry that, Lord, there would just be a depth of community that would blow other teenagers out of the water when they see that in high schools and middle schools. May that be evident, Father, in our kids' ministry. And Lord, for us, uh, God, grown-ups, I pray, Father, that we would, we would pursue that kind of community, Lord, no matter what the cost. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus, to go after that, to run after that. God, help us to push through our fears, 
Help us to push through our insecurities and help us to do whatever it takes to find ourselves in, in, in authentic Christian biblical community. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.